The old pilot's plain tales. The hunger winter. The beautiful Hollywood actress Audrey Hepburn spent her life suffering from medical problems that originated from her childhood. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Who would have thought, while she spoke such famous lines, she suffered from acute anemia, respiratory illness and oedema caused by malnutrition early in her life. She wasn't the only one by far, but just one of the many children living in the Netherlands who would suffer through the Dutch famine of 1944 and 45. The Hunger Winter, as it was known, occurred in the German-occupied part of the Netherlands and in particularly the densely populated western provinces north of the Great Rivers. A German blockade had cut off food from the farming areas in response to a national rail strike and now some three and a half million civilians, under the grip of some 120,000 German troops, were starving. The strike had been called to aid Operation Market Garden. Field Marshal Montgomery had conceived a plan that would end the war in one quick blow. Three airborne divisions were ordered to grab and hold a number of bridges behind enemy lines and form a corridor from Belgium through Eindhoven, Nijmegen and finally to Arnhem, the bridge that would lead them across the final part of the Rhine. In one big hop, the British forces would be in the Ruhr, the industrial heart of Germany. If it worked, it was believed that the war would be over before the end of the year. The Dutch government in exile, convinced of a quick end to the war, decided that the Allied operation would be aided if they called for a railway strike in occupied Holland. The strike would seriously hamper German mobility and prevent a quick German counterattack in the early stages of the operation. The strike became a reality and the Dutch underground followed the orders with great enthusiasm. Within one single day, the majority of the railroad personnel disappeared underground. All traffic by train stopped, whilst the Germans struggled to get personnel from Germany to fill the gaps. Operation Market Garden, the strike to the Rhine, failed. It was a bridge too far, and the Dutch faced another winter of occupation. The German retaliation for the strike was another severe blow. As punishment, a blockade was created to cut off food supplies to the major cities, particularly the densely populated western provinces north of the Great Rivers, and whilst in the grips of a hard winter, three and a half million Dutch people faced starvation. Although the Nazi embargo was partly lifted in November, allowing some food in by barge, soon the canals froze over and that effort ground to a halt. The physical and emotional hardship of that winter pushed the population to the limit of their endurance. On top of more than four years of occupation, the Dutch suffered a brutally cold winter. Not only did the occupiers block the delivery of food, they destroyed dikes holding back the North Sea, which caused devastating floods to the coastal farmlands. Driven to desperation, the starving Dutch ate fried tulip bulbs and even cut their hair, boiled it and drank the broth for protein. By April 1945, 
The British military estimated that more than 500,000 residents of Holland were on the brink of death. The Dutch royal family, who had escaped to London, appealed to the Allied powers for help. If a major catastrophe, the like of which has not been seen in Western Europe since the Middle Ages, is to be avoided in Holland, something drastic has to be done now. Dutch Queen Wilhelmina desperately wrote to British and American leaders. Churchill was sympathetic and President Franklin D. Roosevelt, proud of his family's Dutch roots, pledged American aid. You can be very certain that I shall not forget the country of my origin, he wrote to the Queen. Not until after Roosevelt's sudden death three weeks later were his wishes for a mercy mission to the Netherlands relayed to the Allied Supreme Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower by U.S. Army Chief of Staff George C. Marshall. The Nazi commissioner who ruled over the Netherlands was a man called Artur Seisinkvart. After the war, he would be tried, found guilty of war crimes and hung. But at the time, seeing how the war was going, he permitted the negotiation of a truce in return for allowing food into the country. The Allied leaders were adamant that only unconditional surrender would be the basis of the Nazi capitulation. However, Eisenhower was permitted to consider a truce to save Dutch lives. Prince Bernard acted as an intermediary, moving between Eisenhower in Reims and Seisinkvart, until finally the conditions for a truce were established. With the approval of Churchill and Stalin, it was agreed that, if Montgomery would stop his advances uh, during Operation Market Garden, an attack that had already stalled, then relief flights might start. The need for quick action was urgent, as frequent deaths from malnutrition were already being reported by the Dutch resistance. Eisenhower called Air Commodore Andrew Geddes for a meeting and told him that he had the lives of millions of Dutch people in his hands. He was given the control of two RAF bomb groups with their pathfinders and three wings of the 8th Air Force. In the meantime, the BBC broadcast to the Dutch people. This is the BBC. The Allied Supreme Commander has given orders to drop food by parachute in order to relieve the burden of the Dutch people in the final stages of battle. A large number of aircraft will engage in this mission by day and night to deliver the food. These aircraft will not be used as means of war, but only as the transportation of food for the starving population. At RAS Stradishall, number 186 Lancaster Squadron started trials on how to deliver the food. Bags dropped from over 500 feet burst, spraying flour in white clouds and turning the potatoes into mash. At under 500 feet, basically skimming the treetops, the food would arrive intact. Having solved the delivery problem, they then needed hundreds of sacks at very short notice. They approached a nearby U.S. base, and the colonel was very sympathetic, but said there was no way permission would be granted in time. Of course, the colonel mentioned, petty theft is a big problem, and there aren't enough MPs to guard everything. 
especially when the hangar isn't locked and the MPs are all on the other side of the base, as they will be this evening. I don't suppose anything would be noticed until at least 20 minutes after the last sack left. That night, 1,500 heavy sandbags unexpectedly went missing, and when the police chief inspector visited the RAF the next day, he was quietly eased off to the officer's mess for a gin and tonic with the station commander. On April the 29th, 1945, Royal Air Force Lancaster heavy bombers, manned by British, Australian and Canadian crew members, departed England on the first flights of Operation Manor. To increase the load they could carry, they left behind armament and protective armour plating. The flight to Rotterdam was made at a thousand feet below the cloud base. Ten minutes before the drop, they were forced lower. As the city came into view, they found themselves surrounded by dozens of other Lancasters. The scene on the Rotterdam racecourse, the dropping zone, was extraordinary. There were hundreds of planes packed onto the approach, and despite being warned of the danger, there were people below scurrying about grabbing supplies whilst more still were dropped. After the drop, aircraft continued over Rotterdam at only a few hundred feet, often below the height of the four-storey houses and dipping into the wide avenues. The population knew they were coming, and there had been another radio broadcast that morning. Bombers of the Royal Air Force have just taken off from their bases in England to drop food supplies to the Dutch population in enemy-occupied territory. The flat roofs of the city were covered with orange flags and thousands of cheering people. Infected with the obvious enthusiasm of the Dutch people, the crews waved cheerfully back. Twenty years old at the time, Flight Lieutenant Harry Parkins recalled his Operation Manor missions. After completing my 39th bombing operation on April 25, 1945, to Hitler's hideout in daylight, he said, air crews were asked to take out all the ammunition and guns from our Lancasters because an agreement had been reached with the Germans to allow us to drop food to the starving Dutch. April 29th was the first of six operations to Valkenburg, Delft and Rotterdam dropping food. The last drop was on VE Day. On the first trip we found that, because the Germans didn't trust us, they had put up many poles in the dropping areas, causing the sacks of flour to burst open. Our wireless operator, on seeing these white puffs of smoke from the bursting flower sacks, thought the Germans were shooting at us, and suddenly let out a violent scream, saying he'd been hit in the leg. I rushed to him and started to take off his flying boots and socks, but I couldn't see any blood or injury. Looking across the aircraft, I found one of the bomb clips, where the bombs were winched up before a raid, had flown off when the bomb bays were opened to drop off the food. The slipstream would have blown it against his leg. We all had a laugh at his expense, but didn't have the heart to report it. On our other manor trips, we flew just above the rooftops to get as low as possible so as not to damage the food too much when we dropped it. Below on the frozen ground of Holland, Ari de Jong, a 17-year-old student, wrote in her diary, there are no words to describe the emotions experienced on that Sunday afternoon. 
More than 300 four-engined Lancasters flying exceptionally low suddenly filled the western horizon. One could see the gunners waving in their turrets, a marvellous sight. One Lancaster roared over the town at 70 feet. I saw the aircraft tacking between the church steeples and drop its bags in the south. Everywhere we looked, bombers could be seen. No one remained inside and everybody dared to wave cloths and flags. What a feast! Everybody is excited with joy. The war must be over soon now. One Canadian pilot recalled, Flying by a windmill and people waved at us from its balcony. You understand, we had to look up to wave back. Sergeant Ken Wood, a rear gunner, remembered, People were everywhere, on the streets, on the roofs, leaning out of the windows. They all had something to wave with, a handkerchief, a sheet. It was incredible. Flight Sergeant Gibson also wrote, I will always remember seeing Thank You, Tommy, written on one of the roofs. And he recalled, Those flights were a beautiful experience. It was as if we brought the liberation closer to reality. Shortly after the RAF flights, the American Air Force joined in the operation which they named Chowhound. The Americans added 400 aircraft to the operation and doubled the amount of food delivered. Max Krell remembered his mission to The Hague. It is rainy and cloudy today, but within a few minutes all the bombers are airborne. The group crossed the coast at 1,500 feet. Max remembered seeing the German soldiers at the anti-aircraft guns looking up at them. They seemed close enough to throw rocks at them. He continued, The airfield was located without difficulty and the drop made from 400 feet. The wheels and flaps had to be lowered and the power settings were changed to cut back the speed to 130 miles an hour. In the meanwhile, several of the crew members are able to see the whole show that is going on below them. Max recalled, Such signs of celebration we have never seen before, nor since, as the people hurried to retrieve the food from the sky. People waved at the planes, flags were everywhere, and we had no doubt that the effort had been appreciated. Each package seemed to have a recipient soon after it hit the ground, no matter where it landed. Norman Coates, a belly turret gunner, wrote in his diary, On May the 3rd there was another Mercy mission to Holland, very low altitude. I believe I must have waved at everyone in Holland. The great fields of tulips are beautiful. They had thank you spelled out with rocks. They could see me waving at them because they would point at each other and bring attention to it. Some of them had American flags waving. Despite the best efforts of Operation Manor and Chowhound, it is estimated that 22,000 people starved to death during the hunger winter. 3,100 flights were made by Bomber Command and a further 2,200 by the American Air Force. They dropped 11,000 tons of food before the German surrender allowed other, better ways of feeding the deprived Dutch people. 
a poem was written about the life-saving flights. An aeroplane skims over the land, the low country called Holland, country of hunger, persecution and sorrow. In the streets, people gaze at the sky. An aeroplane circles around. The pilots drop their food. People cry. People cheer to the skies. Food. 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 Food.